welcome to Covenant Presbyterian Church of Fort Smith's weekly sermon podcast. Covenant is a church devoted to theological depth, intimate relationships, joyous worship, relentless evangelism, and sacrificial service. Coming up, a sermon from our series, Redemption Applied, the Ministry of the Holy Spirit. Here now is our pastor, Dr. John Clayton. Well, today we're looking at 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 16 in our continuing series on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Here now the reading of God's holy, inerrant, and inspired word. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So let's go to Him dependently in prayer. Our God, You are source of all light. By Your word, You give light to the soul. Pour out upon us the spirit of wisdom and understanding, that being taught by You in Holy Scripture, our hearts and our minds may be open to know the things that pertain to life and holiness. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The Westminster Confession of Faith begins. Although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God, as to leave men unexcusable, yet are they not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and of His will, which is necessary unto salvation. Therefore it pleased the Lord at sundry times and in diverse manners to reveal Himself and to declare that His will unto His church, and afterwards for the better preserving and propagating of the truth, and for the more sure establishment and comfort of the church against the corruption of the flesh and the malice of Satan and of the world, to commit the same wholly unto writing, which maketh the Holy Scripture to be most necessary, those former ways of God's revealing His will unto His people being now ceased. And everything in our magisterial confession, follows those very words for good reason. Because every other matter of Christian doctrine is contingent upon the Word of God and a right understanding of God's Word. Or 
to put it as we all learned in Sunday school, I know because the Bible tells me so. We are the beneficiaries of that, quote, better preserving and propagating of the truth. And it is for our more sure establishment and comfort that God chose. Think about that. God chose to reveal Himself, committing His will wholly unto writing, and thereby making the Holy Scriptures to be most necessary. I wonder sometimes if we don't take this for granted, that we live within an era in which we have a full and complete canon of Scripture. I wonder sometimes if we don't open our Bibles and forget that God speaks through His Word. This is the very Word of God. Yet, when I think about the Word of God and I think about those men that He chose to write and to deliver the Word to us, when I start thinking about all the different personalities of the Old and New Testament, I'm thinking, wow, Scripture is a supernatural event. It is a miracle that we have the written Word of God. I mean, think about this with me. Think about Moses. The first five books of the Bible we refer to, and Jesus referred to as the books of Moses. And yet, Moses was murder, fugitive, banned from the promised land. So, I'm thinking... Could God not have chosen someone more holy than Moses? Someone better than a murdering fugitive? Well, God should have chosen a man after his own heart. right? Well, and he did and delivered to us the Psalter. And we have it delivered to us through a man who was an adulterer, a murderer. And so I wonder... Is it appropriate to sing psalms delivered to us by a man who broke both the 6th and 7th commandment? What about the wisdom books? Proverbs, the songs, Ecclesiastes, all delivered to us through a man who fell to syncretism, led astray by his wives later in life. And I'm thinking, well, do I need to be guided in life by a man who didn't finish well? And I could go on, and you could too, with examples. But the question that I'm trying to get you to think about in your own mind is this. Can we trust the Bible as the holy word of God if it's written by a bunch of sinners? Like you. Like me. Can we trust the Bible? Peter says, yes. Not for the sake of those through whom God chose to write, but because God's Word is not degenerated by the jars of clay He uses to pour out the word of, the water of life. God speaks by His Holy Spirit. Peter says, carrying the prophets, confirming the truth, revealing his will supernaturally 
We have received the word by inspiration of God to be the rule of faith and life. And so I want to start with this first concept of of carrying the prophets. Describing the miracle. And it is a miracle. I know we use that word a lot. I've mentioned that before from the, the pulpit. I think we should use that word a lot less Because there are a lot of things in in life that are just natural, as God designed them. But there really are miracles, and if we'll use that word sparingly, we'll see that this is a miracle. The miracle that is the written word of God, Peter explains in this passage how the Holy Spirit actually works. He makes it clear that what we have been given was not... Born of human impulse, or as it's translated in the ESV, it's not produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God spoke through the means of men by the ministry of His Holy Spirit. But the prophets and the apostles, they were not these passive conduits but they experienced what God revealed, and they experienced it personally. And a great example of this is John's first epistle. We start reading John's first epistle, and he says this, "...that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it." And testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was from the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus. And Peter, in what we're looking at today, he likewise confesses. But to a specific moment in time. Peter says, we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. We were eyewitnesses of His majesty. What Peter's doing, and he's recalling in this passage, is a specific moment in time when he and James and John climbed a mountain with Jesus. Just the three of them climbing the mountain. And it was on that mountain, before their very eyes, that Jesus was transfigured. Matthew records that Jesus' face shone like the sun, and His clothes became white as light. And it was in that unforgettable moment, right? In that unforgettable moment, Peter says that God the Son received honor And glory from God the Father. It was before their very eyes. And then they heard, and I love the term, and I think the ESV appropriately capitalizes these letters in the translation. They heard the majestic glory, this voice from heaven, say audibly, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. That is extraordinary, isn't it? Eyewitnesses of this event. That's mind-blowing. Peter and James and John, three witnesses. 
of the same supernatural event to which they testify. And because they testify, now you and I, 2023, we know it right here and now. To God be the glory, right? And then, as if in the very same breath, Peter says this. Look with me in verse 19. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention. What? What? Who has the audacity to say that? Who tells of the eyewitness account of seeing Jesus transfigured, hearing God the Father speak from heaven, and then, and then, and I might add, in the original Greek, there is no punctuation. It all runs together. I mean, it's literally in the same breath. He says, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention. In the same context as quoting the heavenly word from the majestic glory, he says we have, in fact the the Greek word there could be translated we possess, We, we have it, we've got it, we possess it. And not only that, but he says that it is, quote, more fully confirmed. But I don't like that translation because it's misleading. A better translation is, is as an altogether reliable thing. We possess something that is totally and completely reliable. In other words, equating what he heard from heaven, Peter says that along with the prophets, he and the other apostles have been given the inerrant word of God. That is an incredible statement. It's bold, isn't it? It's, maybe it's even brash. One of either an egomaniac, a deranged lunatic, or a prophet from God himself. And Peter, in the context of today's passage, claims the latter. He claims, along with the other apostles and the prophets before them, to be prophets of God, given the Word of God. But if Peter and the other prophets and apostles are delivering to the church the Word of God, how has God done this? How has God given His Word? And it's as if Peter anticipates this kind of response. Because in verse 21... He says, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That verb translated carry along is used also in Acts chapter 2 when it describes the wind catching the sails of a sailboat. And the wind carries that sailboat along on the water, doesn't it? Now, it's not a perfect analogy, but the idea of using that word is that the Holy Spirit carried along the prophets and the apostles, delivering the written word of God to the church perfectly and completely. Not by some kind of possessed dictation like we see in movies. No, instead, 
God in His providential kindness uses the personal characteristics and even the personal circumstances. Can you say Paul in prison? God uses these to deliver to us His Word. And so Peter says, might be the most understated thing in the New Testament. Peter says this in verse 19. You will do well to pay attention to it. (laughs) Just as God spoke from heaven and had Peter and James and John's attention... Just as they have seen Jesus transfigured, Peter says, so also we have been given the prophetic word of God, so also we deliver it to you. And you know what? Just like God speaking from heaven grabbed my attention, so also you will do well to pay attention. Why? Because God has spoken through His Spirit. And it deserves your attention, and it deserves my attention, just like the majestic glory's voice from heaven. And Peter's admonition is not only for his first listeners, is it? It's for you, and it's for me as well. If you would hear a word from heaven, oh God, I just wish you would speak to me. (laughs) Right? When Sydney and I were first starting out in, in ministry, in lay ministry, uh, we worked with college students. We worked with college students for years. And at that time, and I don't know if this is the case still, but at that time, the main thing that a college student wanted to know is, what is God's will for my life, right? Which translated meant, what job am I going to have when I graduate from college and what's the pay going to be? Now, they never said that, but that's, that's essentially what they meant, right? And... and I was, as I consistently am, I was a complete disappointment. (laughs) You want to know God's will for your life? Start in Genesis. It goes all the way to Revelation. God has revealed His will to you. He has revealed His will to me. Oh no, now He doesn't reveal His secret things. Deuteronomy 29, 29. Those are His. Those are His to know. I don't know tomorrow, nor do you. But I know God's revealed will because He has given it to me in Scripture. Peter says, you will do well to pay attention to it. You want to hear a word from heaven? Open your Bible. Because when you open your Bible, God speaks. No less clearly than to Peter, James, and John on the mountain, and we would do well to do exactly what Peter said. Pay attention. So consider, for example, the Bible's consistent emphasis on knowing the truth. Over and over again, we're told to know the truth. And in several of the New Testament epistles, we learn that the first century church was dealing with false teaching from false prophets. We don't know the specific situation here in 2 Peter. But we know that the church to whom Peter is writing is dealing with that very thing. And Peter, in verse 16, seeks to distinguish himself and the other apostles to distinguish them from these false teachers, these false prophets. And he puts it this way, that they are those who are actively developing clearly devised myths. In fact, In the context, we understand it as they're 
inventing ways to deceive those who are in the church. And Peter describes them as those who have forsaken the, quote, right way and have, quote, gone astray. They've forsaken the right way. They've gone astray, implying that they've heard the gospel the right way and perhaps they have feigned belief and then left the church with the gullible in tow. In a strikingly sad statement, Peter says this in chapter 2, it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. Meaning, because the gospel is the greatest truth in the whole world, it is far too precious to fake believing. In other words, if you, you say that you believe God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life, and then you retract your confession, you're not only a liar, you are self-deceived. A deception of the worst kind, denying the greatest news in the history of man since the fall of man. And Peter, Peter knows the truth. And he confesses it, doesn't he? He says in verse 16, We made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word coming there, when we hear that, it brings up the question, is he talking about his first coming or his second coming? Uh, I always like to be coy and say yes. Um, but, but oftentimes, oftentimes this Greek word, when it is, is trans, when it is used in the New Testament, it oftentimes refers to his, his second coming. And, and again, contextually, I think it, it's connecting the two. Jesus came and lived a perfect life. He died a sacrificial death. He arose victoriously, conquering both sin and death. He ascended to the right hand of Father and is coming in judgment. And it is that coming that he is probably referring to here. Essentially saying that the certainty, the certainty of Christ's coming is imminent. It will happen. And when he comes, he will come in judgment. And he will come with power. And then the truth will be confirmed. The truth will be confirmed. I can tell you that there is no way to the Father except through the way, the truth, and the life. And you can say, I don't believe that. I reject that. And I can say, you're rejecting the truth. And you can say, I'll take my chances. But on the day in which Jesus comes, the truth will be known. False teachers, Scripture says that they will play upon sensuality, drawing the gullible in the church right to the passions and their emotions, whether it be fear or anger or sexual pleasure or all of the above. But when the trumpet sounds... The false prophets will tremble, but all who are truly in Christ will rejoice. We will rejoice because we know the truth. And so what about until then? 
How do we guard ourselves against the lies of false teachers? In other words, how do you and I develop spiritual discernment in our lives? Well, we learn, as Paul instructed Timothy, to rightly handle the word of truth. To rightly handle the word of truth. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. We read the word of God. We meditate upon the Word of God. We study the Word of God. And we look to the Word of God, and I love this verse in our passage today. Peter says, we look to it as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. You see, the Word of God functions as a spiritual light. The psalmist says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Brothers and sisters in Christ, how many times have you been reading your Bible and the Holy Spirit working through the reading of the word just grabs you? I have laughed reading the word of God. I have wept. And I don't like the little watermarks it leaves in my Bible. I've wanted to throw my Bible across the room because it grabs me by the throat. And I've wanted to run down the street in joy of the truth that God has shown and everything in between. God works through His Word, shining His light through it. And all who are in Christ must look to it, and we must be consistent in our looking to it. Until the day dawns, Peter says, when our Lord Jesus returns, and we will, we will look from the pages of Scripture to the sky, and we will rejoice in the truth that Christ has come as the morning star. In fact, Peter's likely drawing from Numbers, the Old Testament book, drawing from that when it describes Christ as a star coming of Jacob, a scepter coming out of Israel. And he shall come with great power and glory according to the word. That is, according to the revealed will of God. And so we look not to speculations. We look not to silly myths. We look not to silly conspiracies. We look to the Word of God, which is, as was read today, breathed out. That Greek word, theopneustos, that describes the breath of God. Some translations translated inspired, like respiration. God has given it. It is God-breathed and Paul goes on to say that it is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. One or two or maybe three of the children in our communicants class this morning quoted that verse to me. And my heart leapt within me because I thought, oh, that our children would know this truth. That our adults would know this truth. Right? It is the Word of God that teaches us. And it reproves us. And it corrects us. And it trains us in righteousness. To accomplish this is to accept that Scripture has the authority as the Word of God. To speak to your life. To speak to my life. To be believed. To be obeyed. 
not because of the testimony of any man or church, as the Westminster Confession of puts it, but wholly upon God, who is truth itself, the author thereof, and therefore the Word of God is to be received, because it is the Word of God. Peter says no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. That Greek word is somewhat misleading. A better word, I think, is the word translated imagination. No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's imagination because in this context, Peter's not talking about how you interpret Scripture. What he's talking about is that Scripture does not come personally from the prophet. The Holy Spirit speaks. Scripture comes from God, not from my imagination. Of course, I don't, Scripture doesn't come from me at all, right? But from the prophets and from the apostles. It's not their own imaginations that dreamt this up, but rather it comes through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaks, the prophet delivers. And this, of course, helps us to understand then what is and is not the will of God. That which blatantly contradicts the Word of God is not, or rather, that which blatantly contradicts Scripture is not the will of God. This is really simple. That which blatantly contradicts Scripture is not the will of God. Someone may speak with authority. Someone may speak with persuasion. Someone may speak with eloquence. But only that which is in accord with Scripture is from God, which is good and acceptable and perfect. And you say, well, aren't there difficult passages in Scripture? Indeed, there are. Are there some passages that I may disagree with my brothers and sisters in Christ? Oh, yes, there are. But we must never disagree on the essentials of the gospel. That which is clearly conveyed in the Word of God. Let me end with this. If anyone tells you that apart from faith in Jesus Christ, well, there's no concern, no consequence. He's a liar. Apart from Christ, you are spiritually dead in your trespasses and sins, walking in the way of this world and living like a disciple of her prince in complete disobedience to God. If anyone tells you that apart from faith in Jesus Christ, you are truly free, is a liar. Apart from Christ, you're a slave to the passions of your flesh, carrying out the sinful desires of your body and mind, and deserving the wrath of Almighty God. But if anyone tells you that God, who is rich in mercy, in His love for you, will make you spiritually and eternally alive by His grace through faith in Christ alone, He's telling you the truth. Do you know how I know that? Do you know how I know He's telling the truth? Because the Bible tells me so. Let's pray. Our gracious God in heaven, oh, how often we take Your Word for granted. Many of us have many copies, many translations, all the resources we need, and yet how easy it is for us to forget that it is indeed the very inspired Word of God. And so we pray as Your people, 
that we would be faithful to your word, that we would be in it, that we would know it, that we would be, as it was said of George Whitfield, that if he was cut, he would bleed Bible. May we know your word and live it. We pray most of all that we would believe the gospel as it is so clearly conveyed in your word. And that in believing it, we would be saved, that we would live unto you all the days of our lives and indeed forever. We pray this in Jesus' name, the living word of God. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you have grown in your knowledge of and love for God. Covenant Presbyterian is a PCA church that meets for worship on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Our address is 120 North 9th Street in historic downtown Fort Smith, Arkansas. For more information about Covenant, visit our website at www.cpcfs.org.